Okay, in in John 13, in John 13 it says, Now when the feast of the Passover, now before the the, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, notice that he knew that his hour was come. He knows at this point what he's headed to. And he's headed to the cross. And the reason that is because is that love is leading him to the cross. Love has guided his steps. And they've all been leading, leading up to this hour, which was the cross. So he knew that it was his hour, was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. And that's us. That's all of us. So many that have gone on before and so many that are in his presence right now, singing the song of eternity, the song of the Lamb in Revelations 5, 9, worthy, which is the eternal song. But having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And I love that because it was his love that was in the beginning for us when we didn't know it. It was his love that went before us, his love that goes with us, his love that's in us, his love that manifests itself through us, and it is his love in us that is leading us to the end. And the end is where love, in terms of us experiencing it, will never again be clouded over, be distracted, be hindered at all. Verse 2 in John 13 says, And supper having ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went, went to God, he rose up from supper and laid aside his garments. And this is a beautiful picture of Christ. He is God the Son. He has these garments of deity. They're his very garments. They are who he is. And love, who Jesus is, lays them aside. He laid aside his garments. He never ceased being deity. But love laid it aside and took a towel and girded himself. And this is a picture of Jesus Christ in John 1, verse 14. The word of God became flesh. The very Son of God, the word of God. And if we're going to define 
the Son of God, the Word of God, if we're going to define God, He is love. That's who He is in 1 John 4, verse 8. And in verse 16, God is love. So I took a towel and picture wrapped himself in humanity. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then he, then he came to, to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you know not now, but you will know hereafter. He said he's going to know it. And boy, did he, Peter know it. And he knew it in John 21 when Jesus was waiting for him. And that's what love is. Love is always waiting for us. <laughs> always. To never leave us in Hebrews 13 verse 5. Nor forsake us. Peter said unto him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, If I, if I don't wash you, that you, have, you don't have part with me. You won't be able to fellowship with me. There won't be, you won't experience the exchange of the intimacy of my love for you. A love that has been absolutely completed and perfected concerning you intimately. You won't be able to experience it. So Jesus here, in love, He's pouring water into a basin. He's not pouring blood. Blood dealt with the sin issue. Blood, his death on the cross, in perfect love, crucified in Romans 6, verse 6, the old man. And paid for all of our personal sins as our sacrifice. Thus we are reconciled to God. But to experience the fact that we are so reconciled to a loving Father, and that's been dealt with. That's dealt with our position. But to experience in intimacy this incredible love. <coughs> He has to wash our feet. And that speaks of our walk. That speaks of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, <clears throat> he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Simon Peter said unto him, Not my feet, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed doesn't need that, doesn't need... To, to have anything but his feet washed. He's completely clean as far as his position. And we are completely clean as far as our position. We have been made holy. That's why in Leviticus 11, 44 and 45, and in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
My love for you is holy. And my love that is holy, that loves you, has made you holy through my Son, Jesus Christ. So he said, you, don't, you only need your feet washed now because you're clean every whit. You're clean. And you were clean, but not all. And of course he was referring to Judas Iscariot here. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know you what I have done. What a beautiful picture this is. He's showing them, of course, and we can have our feet washed because we have been cleansed wholly in our position. But to experience the love that has dealt with us in our position, to experience the intimacy of that in our walk here on this earth, there has to be water. And that's what the water, the water of the word does. It cleanses us. And so the picture here is he's put back on his garments. And he sat down again. And, he, and again, he said to him, do you know what I've done unto you? He said, you call me master and Lord. You call me teacher one who's revealed the very mind of God to me, being that very mind, being that very love, and what you say is true, because I am. That's what he's saying. He said, I am. Well, if then your Lord and Master has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What is he teaching? He's teaching here the confirmation of love, which is forgiveness, which is cleansing. And what a picture it is. Well, what does he do? Jesus, who is love, is always in the business of drawing the soul to him. He's always in the business of drawing us in our self-consciousness. He draws the sinner. And he wants to draw the sinner, the one who's failed, to him so that he can reveal to him some incredible truths, some beautiful truths here. And so he draws the soul to him. What? to bring and establish a solid foundational confidence in him and a confidence in his love. And he does this, this is done by what the Holy Spirit reveals about who Jesus is and about what he has done, what he has accomplished. He wants us, as he draws us to himself, to live in the constancy of his intimate love for us. A love that nothing could dampen. Nothing could
could weaken it. The disciples, in all of their misunderstanding, in all of the ways that they left him, in all of those ways, no matter what the satanic cosmos, the satanic world system would do, it couldn't stop, dampen, or weaken his love for us. Just like today, nothing can do that. All kinds of adversaries. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was hated, he was rejected, and nothing could stop love's path to the cross where the greatest demonstration of the love of God was poured out. The cross is the central place for all eternity because that's where Jesus Christ settled everything for us. It's where love settled everything. Did you know that love settled every single thing about us? Didn't leave a single thing undone. All those adversaries. And he had thousands of reasons to stop his love. Thousands. I don't know about you, but I know one thing. I've given him probably millions of reasons to stop it. But love, it says, is strong as death. And jealousy is as cruel as the grave. And many waters cannot quench love. If a man could, would give everything he could, it would be content because it can't be bought. It could never be bought. And that's why he said in Song of Solomon 8, 6 and 7, set me as a seal. Set me and my intense love and my incredible love for you as a seal on your head, in your mind, and on your arm with everything you do and everything you think and everything you do. May it be in the constancy of an intimate love that will never leave you nor forsake you. And the love that he loves us with, even when we sin, doesn't forsake us. But we put ourselves in a position where we cannot receive that love. We can't receive it. And God can't fellowship with sin, even though he loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. And thank God we have the water that Jesus pours into a basin. And he can pour it there because he, blood on the cross and his spiritual death dealt with it. And now we're his. We've been bought with a price in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And thank God we're not our own. Meaning, we cannot do without his love for us. Because love bought us. Love didn't hold back. It bought us. The, those disciples all around him, their indifference, those adversaries, nothing could stop it. Nothing did. And the adversaries, at times, the enemy wants to be an adversary and draw us away from that love that he has for us and cause us to be indifferent. But will he withdraw his love from us? Never. Never. 
you know, love will wait. Love waits. Love is, love's face is toward us. It may not be able to fellowship with us when we live in sin, but that love is toward us. It's interesting when it has to happen to us. And when I say that, I think of no one else but me, but myself. The prodigal in Luke, the 15th chapter, you see in verse 19 to 31, the prodigal went out. He left the father's house, the place where he was loved. And before his foot crossed the threshold, He had been living in indifference to the love of the Father. And then he went out and he, he went out and he spent all. And he didn't have anything to eat. And he was hungry. And so many that leave the Father's love through indifference and through adversaries and through a thousand different things, then begin to be hungry. And still that won't bring them back to the Father's love. Because then they'll feed on us. Something that cannot, will not satisfy them. And they feed on husks. It wasn't till he fed on those husks and no man would give him. He had to get to the place of starvation. He had to be starving for his love. And that's when he came to himself and began to think about how his father treated even his servants. And of course, he came back with nothing but rags. And with his rags, the father, it says, saw him a great, a great way off and ran to him. And in his rags... He can't change himself. There's nothing he can do at all. He's in his rags. That's the best that he can do. The very best that he can do because he's come to himself and realizes it's nothing that he can do. And, and as try as he might, it just will be rags. But now then he, he gets his, his, his mind, starts to get on his father. It's not quite clear yet because he wants to come back and serve him. When all the father wants to do is get him back so that the father in his love can serve him, can take off the rags, put on a robe, a ring, and a, and a, and a miter on his head, and break, break out the fatted calf and celebrate. And there's joy in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner that changes their mind and does a about face in Luke 15, 7 and 10, 9 and 10. But here, Jesus, he pours the water in and washes their feet. He washes their feet. All that was in the world, listen, and all that's in this world system, this satanic world system around us, is of a nature designed to destroy Jesus' love. 
It couldn't destroy Jesus. It couldn't destroy his love. But every single thing in this world system is designed to destroy us, to get us in a place. And that's why it says in John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy with thoughts, using thoughts that aren't from God, using failure and sins that he's dealt with, by the way, in everything he can to destroy the vessel, the loved one, from receiving that love. And that whole world system tried to destroy Jesus, tried to destroy his love. But his love is perfect. It's complete in itself. It doesn't change. It's invariable. It doesn't change. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so, there's nothing. But for us, the enemy will do everything he can. Because in wounding us, causing us as an adversary against us to be to get to the place where we're just indifferent to Jesus, his love and every single thing that he's done to get us to that place because there's nothing that wounds or hurts love more than indifference that's why Jesus said in Revelations 3, 14 and 15 You're neither cold nor hot. You're just indifferent. You're not completely turned off. You're not completely consumed on fire, meaning consumed by my love. (laughs) And you're not completely cold turned off by it. You're just indifferent. And because of that, he said, I have to spew you out of my mouth. And of course, that's not talking about a loss of salvation. It's talking about a loss of intimate communion in in an amazing, loving fellowship. That's what it speaks of. But his love is perfect. It's complete in, in itself. Perfect love. And I thought of these thoughts this morning and I wrote them down. Perfect love has bled. Perfect love has suffered torment. Perfect love has suffered torture. Perfect love has suffered pain. Perfect love has suffered sorrow. Perfect love has suffered shame. Perfect love, perfect in itself, has suffered abandonment. Perfect love has suffered the most and the deepest rejection and perfect love has died. But perfect love, our precious Lord and Savior has risen because death couldn't keep him in the grave. 
He's more than a conqueror. His love has conquered everything. And that love has conquered everything pertaining to his Father and pertaining to us and made us more than conquerors in Romans 8, 37. Through him that loved us. There's nothing left to conquer. Not a thing. There's nothing left for love to conquer. It's been removed. Every single thing that could interfere with it. He has perfect love has been glorified. Because perfect love has cleansed and washed and purified and made you and I holy. Perfect love. And so in his perfect love, and we've shared some of these thoughts, but his perfect love anticipates failure as well as removes it. And this is what love does. Love wants to prevent distance between us and him. He wants to prevent distance because when we get away from his presence, joy is gone. The experience of being so loved is gone. And that can lead into so much and so much pain and so much suffering. Unnecessary too. It's perfect love. Perfect love. In all of our circumstances, in our very path where we walk, right in the midst of sorrow is perfect love. Right in the midst of trouble is perfect love. Right in the midst of pressure is perfect love. Right in the midst of grief is perfect love. And that perfect love that's right in the midst of all of those things that we just described wants to fill us to overflowing with his love. Romans 5 verse 5, the love of God is poured out on us without measure because there's nothing hindering it. The only thing that can hinder it is on our side. Doesn't do anything but keep us from missing the intimacy and the intensity and the depth of that love. And when we receive that love it makes us so confident when we understand and experience how loved we are how much he has finished the work in John 19 verse 30 it was the, his meat to do the will of the father and to finish the work in John 4 verse 34 and both his father in him and Christ in 517 of John were working towards that it was love leading to the cross where love had to abandon the Son so that love would never abandon us. And so when we're in His presence, and His presence 
We've said before there's the fullness of joy in Psalm 16, verse 11. And at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And in his presence, the, his, the, the intimate, loving presence gives us joy. And in his presence is the place where you and I can rest. Oh, by the way, it's the only place. And we will be restless until we rest in him. So Christ brings himself down into our circumstances to make us happy in them. And in our circumstances and in us, he has to cleanse us at times. And he wants to cleanse us because he wants to fit us to be in the presence of his love for us. So he goes with us right into the midst of our circumstances. He wants to remove distance. That's what love is always doing. Love that's finished everything about us and settled everything about us wants to remove all distance in us because when we're in in a distance from him who is love, there begins to be fear. In 1 John 4, 18. And there's no fear in love. Listen to that. There's no fear in love. And love wants to remove the distance so that fear doesn't have a place. Fear has no place in his intimate love for us. Because the fact is, is that he won't communicate to us from a distance. He loves us. He wants us right with him. But he wants to remove the distance because in the distance that's been created and that's what Satan always wants to do. And I wrote it this morning in my own personal, from my own personal life. Satan wants to create distance in us. He can't do it in God, but he tries to create distance in us because he knows that in that distance, we can't experience the joy of him speaking to us in the most beautiful tones of love. And there's where the fear comes in. But he cleanses us. He's right there waiting to cleanse us. And that's why it says in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Be you, you there, you, you who my love has won, you who has received my son, and receive the intimacy of my eternal embrace of my son. You, be followers of God. And God is love. Listen, you ought to follow nothing but love in your thinking. As what? Dear children. You know, he loves us dearly. How's that for some theology? How's that for some scholarship? Did you know that he loves us dearly and deeply? Do you know that he's removed everything? And that he wants us in verse 2 to walk in love? Everywhere we go, 
every thought, every word, every deed. He wants to have in the nearness and intimacy of his love for us without any distance so that we keep hearing him speak in these beautiful tones of how much he loves us and to not be distracted. Hebrews 12 verse 2 looking away from all that would that would distract and create distance unto Jesus. He's the author. He's the file leader of our faith. Of our, he leads us. He's leading us to do nothing but depend upon him. Having loved his own. Remember we just read that in John 13 verse 1 and 2. Having loved his own. He's going to love them to the end, you and I, of a love that we'll never come to the end to. Ephesians 3, verse 19, and to know, to experience the love of God that passes knowledge, meaning we'll never, ever, ever, for all eternity, ever be able to come to the end of a love that will never let us go and it settled every single thing about us. Walk in love here. Let every thought, every word, and every deed be bathed in the intimacy of love as dear children, because Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us. <laughs> See, he's not against us. God is not against us. No, he's not. He's for us. Love bled. Love suffered. Love died. Love endured the pain. Love dealt with the old you and I. Removed it forever. And dealt with the old, what the old would produce, the sins, and removed them in Psalm 103. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, and now love's voice says, you are all fair, my love. In Song of Solomon 4, 7, there's no blemish, there's no spot in you, because the love that won you, won you is now your life, and it's spotless. And my desire, in Song of Solomon 7, verse 10, is toward you. It's not against you. And anything other than that is a lie. So he's given himself for us <laughs> as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. God the Father loves what the love of his Son and his own love and his Son has accomplished concerning you and I. It's sweet. There's nothing in the way. Nothing. He loves us up. He loves us down. In loving us up, he's loving us higher and more perfect. We have the love of a perfect object. Jesus Christ. He's our object, not self. Not sin. Not sins. And God forbid that we should do. And I know 
in his presence, oh, we would never want to, and we do fail. We do sin, and we struggle. But nothing changes an unchangeable, settled, satisfied love. Nothing. Nothing does, nothing can. It's all settled. He settled every single thing about you and I. He settled it. And it's finished. And it is done. And so thank God for that. Thank God for the love that he has given us. And we'll close with these thoughts. And there's so much more for us (laughs) with this but it was pure and perfect love. And we've shared these thoughts before. But it was pure and it was perfect love in the mind of God himself. It was the expression of what he is in this love. And that's what Jesus is. He's the expression, the very expression of the love of God for you and I. And there was nothing in us to attract that love or awaken it. But it was perfect and complete in itself. Mm -hmm. Oh, if we could understand. Mm -hmm. And that's our prayer. The love that he has for us. The love that's in us. The treasure of that love that we hold right within us. If we would just continue to resort to it. To go to it. To draw near to it. We have this treasure in these fragile clay jars in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And yes, the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. And thank God it is because he never changes. Love thinks no evil. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 13, 5. He doesn't think evil. God doesn't think evil of you and I. Jesus doesn't think evil of you and I. The Holy Spirit doesn't think evil of you and I. And when we sin and when we fail, it grieves the Holy Spirit from revealing and just overwhelming us with the experience of how just how much we are loved by God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And that's what grieves the Holy Spirit because he can't reveal in our experience the intensity of this love. But thank God we have that confession Again, in 1 John 1, 9. But uh, you and I were dead. We were dead in sins, in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. But God, who was rich in mercy, with with a great love, he loved us. The greatness of his love. You and I were dead then. But now receiving him, we live through another. He's our life. He is our life. And what a love that is. And again, it's not that we loved God. In 1 John 4.10, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. But that he loved us. And that love was perfect. Everything about him, everything about that love pertaining to you and I is perfect and complete in itself. Will we receive it? Will we continue to receive it? Mm -hmm. 
Will we draw an eye to him? Even, and God forbid, but even if it is in rags, should we draw near to him? Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Do, do you and I have dirty hands? Are we double-minded? He says, then draw near to me in your double-mindedness. Draw near to me with your soiled hands, with your rags. And come and see and experience what love has done. And love will reveal to you a godly sorrow. It will. But it will never be regretted. Ever. In 2 Corinthians 7.10. There is a godly sorrow. But you will never regret that sorrow. Ever. Ever. And he'll redeem it. He'll redeem the time in Ephesians 5.16. Because of love. So Father, we thank you for this brief time and your thoughts about your love for us. We can't even contain them. And my prayer, even this, this morning and yesterday morning, is, oh God, please bring these thoughts back. Because I need to hear them, and I, you have them for so many. You have them for so, so very many. Oh God, just teach us please and continue to show us that we have no identity outside of your perfect love for us. And that we, when we don't identify ourselves in the perfection of your love and the completion of your love for us, then we will identify ourselves with something that's not of the truth. It'll be a lie because Jesus did finish the work. He did. He finished everything. He didn't leave a single thing undone. Love didn't leave a single thing undone. In Jesus' name, amen.